Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. Happy birthday. Wasn't it, wasn't it so kind of us to give you an extra hour of sleep as a birthday gift? Um, and we dialed up perfect weather. You know, we made all that happen, so you're welcome. Um, thank you for being at church with us. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 3. And uh, this is a special weekend for us because it is our 11th anniversary, and I'm really excited about that. So uh, just was talking with one of our elders back in the uh, green room who was part of the planting team, and just to see what God has done is so cool. But another reason this weekend is super special for us is, as you can see behind me, uh, we have the baptismal open, and there is water in it, and people are getting dunked today, and uh, we are excited about that. We're going to have a baptism service. Yeah, we can clap for that. Come on. And uh, if you've been at our church for, for any season, you know that these are really fun and special weekends. And uh, so what I want to do right now is there's three types of people in the room that I want to talk to. And uh, the first type of, uh, of person, and I'm just going to be really clear and honest with you, what I'm going to do at the end of this service, just so you know, I am going to call everyone in here who is a follower of Christ who hasn't yet gotten baptized since making the decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask, call, encourage you to come forward and get baptized. And uh, there's three types of people here. The first is like you're here and you're like, man, that's why I'm here. I'm ready to get baptized. Stop talking already so we can get after it. And uh, if that's you, I'm so pumped for you. Just be patient and uh, we will get there shortly, I promise. Um, there's another group of you who you're on the fence right now. And you're like, man, I, I kind of have been feeling this tug to get baptized. I haven't gotten baptized as a believer, and I think it's something that I might do, but I'm really nervous. And maybe you're thinking to myself, you know what? I, I don't know what to do, so it's just going to depend on how well Chris sings after Cal preaches. Like, if Chris is crushing it in the clothes, then maybe I'll feel like going up and doing it. But if he blows it, I'm not going. Um, some of you are on the fence, and then there's others of you in here who you're like, there ain't no way I'm getting in a tank in front of all these people and getting baptized. It's not going to happen. And uh, if that's you, that's okay. Um, I'm not afraid of a challenge. So I would just encourage you, keep building up those walls of hay. And uh, we'll watch the uh, uh, Holy Spirit blow those things down um, as his word and conviction reigns over us this morning. I'm so excited about what's going to happen for our church family. And um, the way we're going to do this is we're going to talk a little bit about identity. And uh, we're in a worldview series, and if you've been with us this fall, you know that one of the things that we have been doing is we've been explaining how a Christian worldview and the worldview of our culture, secular humanism, they're fundamentally different in the fact that they start at different places, right? Secular humanism, it denies God, it denies the eternal, and it basically it says that we as humans have the capability and the ability to find joy, life, and happiness within ourselves, and our aim should be do what we want, do what we believe is right, as long as we're not hurting others, that we are free and autonomous to pursue life however we want. A Christian worldview says that we are not the starting point, but that God is, and that God is creator. He is authority. His way and his design for our life is the best, and fulfillment in life and joy is found in him and him alone. So what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to explain that when it comes to things like sex and work and money, we shouldn't be surprised that these worldviews land at very, very different places because the starting points are at very, very different places. Well, this week's interesting because actually there is a lot of agreement amongst worldviews about the importance of identity. This is an area where there is some agreement between secular humanism and a Christian worldview. And here's what I mean. Um, no matter who you talk to, believer, 
unbeliever, no matter what your background is, almost everyone would say having an identity is massively important, right? That if you don't know who you are, if you don't have an identity, if that's something that you're not solid on, it's going to be very, very difficult to have a fulfilled and meaningful life. And there is this fundamental question that you and I have to answer, and it's this. It's who am I? I think so much of life is us wrestling with this question. At the end of the day, who am I? It's a question of identity. It's interesting, most sociologists say that this need for identity really kind of hits around puberty, around middle school, high school, and I have twin daughters who are in fifth grade, and I see this starting to play out in their little hearts. And here's what I mean. Um, My girls right now, it's super important to them to have like a thing that is their own. And they're trying to figure out what that is. They're like, well, is it athletic? So maybe I'm going to try playing basketball or, 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 or swimming, but maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a hobby like riding horses or, or, or drawing. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's grades. Maybe it's academic. But I can see like they're asking this question, what is the thing that is my thing? Another way this plays out is I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but in fifth grade classrooms, there tends to be a little bit of drama. And I hear about it a lot. It's like, oh, this kid said that to that kid and that made him cry and this person was mean and these people got in a fight at recess. And like all of that is so important because it's all about friendships and who likes who and what is your identity. And I also am learning that my girls are increasingly sensitive, right? And one punk little fifth grade boy can say one thing to them just trying to be funny, doesn't even mean to be mean, And it will like devastate my daughters for a week. All of this is around, they're trying to understand where is my identity. And at the center of this question of identity is a universal longing that everyone has to be known, to be loved, and to belong. To be known, to be loved, and to belong. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter your age, your race, your gender, what you believe, what part of the world you live in. There is a universal desire to be known, to be loved, and to belong. This is something we all feel. And we kind of know if we don't have one of these things, something's very, very broken in our lives. Like I would make this argument all day. I would, would bet that if we could get ourselves strapped to a lie detector test and we had to answer honestly, what is our greatest fear? For most of us, that would simply be being alone. We don't want to be lonely. We want to be known. We want to be loved. We want to belong. And this idea or this thought that no one sees, no one cares, no one uh, um, has any impact into my life or mine, into theirs, that is a devastating feeling. And I think one of the areas you see this play out most clearly is in a high school cafeteria. And I went to Grand Haven High School, and, and I don't know what, it was, what it's like now. I know what it was like when I was there. And this is what you would do when you would have lunchtime. You'd walk into the cafeteria, and everyone would be seated by their tribe or their group or the people that gave them identity. So you'd have all of the athletes at one table, right? And guess what they do? They all wear the same clothes. They're all wearing their sports hoodies. They all got the same haircut. They're all wearing, you know, the athletic sweatshirts, like, like they're all, or sweat, like sweatpants. They're all just look the same. That's their identity. That's their crew. One table over, you got all the smart kids, right? And they got their books out. They're doing AP chemistry, trying to get on top of their homework. And they're, you know, crushing it, wearing button down, solving all of the world's problems. The next table over, you got the skater kids. And uh, when I was in high school, this is in the early 2000s, the, the Jinko jeans were in, remember, like shockingly baggy, 
and they were all wearing those. They've got the um, same skater shoes. They've got the, the flannel, uh, you know, T-shirts. All of them equally smell like cigarettes. Like they had a look and a feel and a smell, and they had an identity. And even um, when I was in high school, goth was really, really big. And there was this crew of goth kids where it's like, I'm going to wear all black. My, I'm going to bleach or dye my hair black. I'm going to put white makeup on. I'm going to wear fishnets. And it's like, I am so different than everyone else. And it's like, well, you kind of defeat the purpose when you're sitting at a table and all of you still look exactly the same, right? Even in trying to stand out and be different, we have to do it with a group of people who give us identity and we'll do it together. Identity is just massive. And it's funny, I know guys in their 40s and 50s who when you peel back all of the layers of their life, at the end of the day, they still just want to be at the cool kids table and have never recovered from the loneliness they have experienced at certain times in their adolescence. And so what I want you to understand is, is that the Christian worldview believes that these longings are eternal, that not only are they universal, but they're eternal. And this is where Christianity differs from secular humanism, right? Christianity asserts that this longing we feel for identity to be known, to be loved, and to belong is because our souls yearn for those very things from its creator, God. That all of us have been created by God, we have an eternal soul, and we long for right relationship with our creator. Secular humanism denies the eternal, it denies God, and it says that all of us individually have to build and create an identity by ourselves, and that's what we need to look for. And church, look at me. There's a million different things we can try to put our hope in for our identity. Maybe it's money, right? Maybe it's hobbies, I'm a outdoorsman, I'm a hunter, I'm an athlete, I'm a crafter, I'm a hiker, I'm a weekend warrior, like all of these things that could be friendships, romance, work, right? When someone asks you who you are, is it, man, I'm a banker, or I'm an engineer, or I'm an electrical worker, right? We put our identity in those things, athletics, beauty, success, all of these things we, we can put our hope in and say, if I just am good at this or have this, or if there's enough people like me, I will be okay and have an identity. But Christianity says these things ultimately will not satisfy the eternal longings of our soul. A couple passages that play this out specifically, Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Right, God is saying, like, why are you putting your hope in the things that leave you empty? Come to me and I will satisfy every longing of your heart. David says it so beautifully in Psalm 84. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs for, yet faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. He sees like, man, my soul faints for you. If I don't have you, nothing else can bring me and sustain me life. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And church, listen, he's not talking about food right there. He's saying, I will offer you and provide you what no one else in this world can. If you come to me, your souls will be satisfied. 
Over and over again, we see in Scripture that the only thing that can truly satisfy our souls is the Lord, and anything else we look to for identity and to satisfy this longing will ultimately leave us wanting. Well, like here's the, the best way I can describe it. Even a relationship as close as marriage cannot satisfy the longings of our eternal soul. Like I love Mary with all of my heart, and I have this saying that like if Mary and I are good, everything else can be on fire and we're good. Right? As long as Mary and I are good, we can get through anything. And if Mary and I aren't good, if everything else is going great, we are not good unless we are good. But I know, full well, church, I have no ability to provide what only the Lord can provide for my wife. Marriage is a picture of the love, intimacy, and relationship that God wants with its creation. And what we're going to see right now is that Jesus cared a lot about identity. Look at Matthew 3. Here's what it says. It says, And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be now so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. All right, so this is the story of Jesus' baptism, and this is a monumental moment in Scripture and in all of human history. So let me explain what's going on in this story. John is Jesus' cousin, and he is the last prophet in Israel. And God tells John, you need to go out into the wilderness, and you need to prepare the people for Jesus, for the Messiah. So John, he is a super weird, eclectic, charismatic dude. He's out in the wilderness. He's eating wild locusts, and he's eating honey, and he's preaching this message. He's an incredible preacher, and he's saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he's talking about Jesus. He's saying, Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Everything is going to change, and to prepare our hearts for what is coming, we need to repent and get baptized. John is preaching a message of repentance because what John understands, and by the way, this is true for all of us, John knows that our hearts will never receive the Messiah if we're not at a place that is broken over our sin and repentant over our rebellion against God. We will never experience the good news of Jesus until we swallow the bad news that we are rebellious, that we are sinful, and that we are in desperate need of a Savior. So John's preparing people through this repentance of, or this baptism of repentance. He's saying, come, get baptized, and this is a symbol of you want your sin to be washed away. It was an act of repentance. All right, now Jesus shows up, and Jesus is like, John, I want you to baptize me. And John says, no, I won't. And the question is, is why won't he? Well, because John knows that Jesus is sinless. John's like, my baptism is a baptism of repentance. You have nothing to repent over. In fact, John says, Jesus, you need to baptize me. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't argue John's point. He doesn't say, no, I've got some sins that I got to confess, or no, 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 I need this too. He's like, I know that I'm sinless. You know that. But look what he does say. He says this, he says, let it be now so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. See, what Jesus is saying is he's saying this baptism that you're going to do for me is not a baptism of repentance, but it's a baptism of righteousness. And what he's saying is, is that all of these people who have repented, that they need a righteousness that is not their own to make them acceptable before God. They need a perfect sacrifice. 
So Jesus says, when you baptize me, what I am doing is, is I am identifying with the repentant people saying, I will take on their sin and shame and guilt, and I will give to them my righteousness so that the repentant may be saved. Jesus was baptized, church, to identify with us. And Kent Hughes, a commentator and pastor, writes it so beautifully. He says this, He says, Jesus' baptism is a symbol of the cleansing of our sins. As the water pours over our heads, we are made clean in the sight of God. When Jesus went down into the water of the Jordan River, listen, the opposite happened. He began to take on our sin, our dirt, all of the scum of all of the baptized. Whatever drop of water might have entered into his mouth was his first taste of the cup of God's wrath, which he would drink in full measure on the cross. See what he's saying? He's saying that when Jesus went down into the water, he is identifying with our sin. This was the beginning of his ministry as he would bear our sin and our shame, that he would be that sacrifice and be the one that makes us right before God. And church, I don't want you to miss how beautiful this moment is. Because the second Jesus comes up out of the water, it says all of a sudden the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And then it says, the voice of God the Father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so you have this moment where Jesus, the eternal creator, son of God, is choosing to identify with you and me and take on our sin. And then you've got the Holy Spirit there. You've got God the Father there. And you've got John the Baptist, who Jesus would later call the greatest man to ever walk the face of the earth. You've got the entire Trinity and the greatest man ever all affirming that Jesus is the Messiah, that he came to take away the sin of the world and hope and life would be found through him and him alone. Man, Jesus loves us, doesn't he? What a beautiful moment. But what I want you to understand is this was all about identity. And the next thing you need to see is that Jesus demands our baptism to identify with him. He demands that we get baptized to identify with him. After Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, but right before he ascended into heaven, he gave his disciples one last instruction. Matthew 28, 18, it says this. It says, and Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He he, he says, listen, part of his call to his disciples was go preach the gospel and when people get saved, have them publicly identify with Jesus through baptism. Listen, baptism doesn't save you, church, but baptism is what saved people do. And we see this throughout the book of Acts and the history of the early church. We see this in Acts 2. Peter preaches a message in Jerusalem right after the Holy Spirit descends and the disciples are speaking in tongue and it says 3,000 people get saved, the church gets born and guess what those 3,000 people do? They get baptized. We see it in Acts 2, we see it multiple times in Acts 8, we see it in Acts 9, in Acts 10, in Acts 16, in Acts 18, in Acts 19, in Acts 22, you get the picture? As the gospel goes forward, People believe in Jesus, they repent of their sin, and then they publicly identify with Jesus through baptism. It is what Christ commands of his followers. So maybe you're here and you're wondering to yourself, like how does me getting dunked in a tank actually identify with Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's three ways that getting baptized identifies us with Jesus. Here's the first. It identifies our story. It identifies our story. When we go into the water, 
and then come back out, what we are saying is, is that the story of my life is that I have been made clean through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus is the one that has purchased my life, and, and he is the one who has made me right before God. And here's the thing I love about church. Like, look around this room. Look at all of the people here. So many of these people you might have very, very little in common with, but we all share the same story, right? That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your story, that you have come to a place by God's grace that you've acknowledged your sin, you've acknowledged a need for a Savior, for Jesus to make us right before God. We've acknowledged that our souls need God more than we need every, anything or everything else, and our hope and our life is found in Jesus. It's all of our stories. It's all of our identity. The next thing baptism does is it identifies our allegiance. It identifies our allegiance. By getting baptized publicly, you are saying, I belong to Jesus. He is Lord. He has my heart. And church, this has huge implications on our lives. That means we are yielding our life and our will to what Jesus says. Church, we don't get to create a Christianity after our own image or after what we think makes the most sense. We're saying Jesus is Lord. God is God. We are called to walk in humility and obedience to what he calls us to. We don't set the terms. Jesus does. He has our allegiance. And maybe the big idea of this entire series, if I could boil down everything we're trying to accomplish very, very crisply, it's this. You can't align your hearts with Christ and embrace a worldview that puts you at the center of everything. It's fundamentally incompatible. And part of being a faithful Christian is there are aspects of our culture and our worldview that we have to renounce and say, this is not God's design and plan and my allegiance belongs to Christ. Is that you? Here's the third thing it does. It identifies our hope. Baptism identifies our hope. This idea that Jesus was buried and rose again, what we are also saying is that just like Jesus, we will rise again after we die to be united with Christ and those in heaven who are in the Lord. That this is not the end, church. We are saying that we are living for an eternity that is greater than this moment. That this is not our hope, that our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we belong and that is what we are looking forward to. We are saying we believe that we will rise again and be with Jesus. Jesus is after our identity, church, and he gave his life to give us the exact thing our souls are longing for, to be known, to be loved, and belong to our God. Okay, so I'm gonna be as blunt as I can right now. Here's what I would say. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and sense trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not gotten baptized, you are walking outside of the obedience that God wants for you. Jesus calls us to do it. It is a step of obedience. And if we're going to faithfully follow him, this has to be a part of our story. And so what I want to do real quick before I make a call to come get baptized, I want to explain two things that baptism is not. First of all, we need to understand that baptism, it isn't salvation. It does not save you. But it is what saved people do. This is a public identification of what God has already done in our hearts. My wife went to a school in Florida. She was finishing up her degree, and they believed that um, you had to get baptized in order to get saved. 
And, and it was a small school, and everyone in the school believed it. There was like Mary and three other kids that didn't. And a girl actually went up and told her and said, we know who all of you are who don't believe this, and you're a target. Right? Super nice Christian thing to say, not weird at all. Um, but, but they believed this strongly. And once in class, they were talking about this issue, and they were kind of pressing Mary on it. And Mary goes, well, I just have one question. What about the thief on the cross? Right? Because there was a thief that died next to Jesus who acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior. The guy never got baptized, but Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And their answer was, well, God can make exceptions sometimes. And Mary's like, well, it's not an incredible thing to be dogmatic about if at the foundation of your theology is that God can make exceptions sometimes. I don't believe baptism saves you. We are not saved by works. We are saved by faith alone in Christ. But getting baptized is what saved people do because our hearts desire to walk in obedience to our Lord and Savior. Second thing, and this one's important, church, baptism is not Christian steroids. I think sometimes people come to the tank and they're like, man, I, maybe I've gotten baptized before, but I'm just not in a good place spiritually. I feel like I'm in a dry place. There's some sin in my life. My relationships are broken. And if I just make this step and get baptized, then God's going to make everything better. Um, that's not how baptism works. In, in fact, I would argue, especially in the early church, to publicly identify with Jesus cost you a lot. It could cost you your job, it could cost you your family, it could cost you your life. And in fact, I would argue that you might be inviting potentially more spiritual warfare into your life by making a bold public stand with Jesus. It's not a band-aid or, or a secret pill that's going to fix anything. And if you're struggling, come talk with a pastor. We want to help you through that. But here's what I want to do as we close. It's this. I want to talk about four bad reasons not to identify with Jesus through baptism today. If you're here and you haven't been baptized since making a, a decision for Christ, here are four reasons not to walk in obedience today. The first is um, you were baptized as an infant. That's a bad reason not to get baptized right now. And, and look at me. I understand that in our area that is very Reformed and Christian Reformed, most of this church, if I asked you to raise your hand, would say, yeah, I was baptized as an infant. And, and look at me. I think that's amazing. I love that you were baptized as an infant. We do child dedications at our church. We do it a little bit differently. But what's so cool about that is, is that means that you had the blessing of having parents that say, man, I want our kids to have a saving faith in Jesus someday. And I want the church to be around them. I want the church to pray for them. I want nothing more than for my child to know the Lord. And that is an awesome blessing from God and an awesome part of your story. That's not something that we would frown upon or, or, or look down on at all. But, but church, look here. Again, baptism is all about identity, right? And your infant baptism is what your parents did in hopes of what God would do in your heart. It's a decision your parents made. I mean, I don't know of any three-months-old who are talking their parents into getting baptized. What Jesus calls us to do is to, after making the decision to put him as Savior and Lord of our life, to make that decision ourselves, to publicly identify with him. So I would say that what your parents did for you is great, but that was what your parents did. What today is, is you saying, I love and belong to Jesus. Here's um, a second bad reason. Um, I'm nervous. I don't like getting in front of people. This is a little bit overwhelming to me. I, I'm nervous. And it's so funny because every week after baptisms, and I'm really praying it doesn't happen this week, but we'll get a call first thing Monday morning, and it'll be someone that is just so upset with themselves. 
and they're like, I know I should have gotten baptized. I was feeling it in the moment. I know I should have. Now I spent all Sunday afternoon just kicking myself for not doing it. When's the next baptism service? Here's a, just don't be that person today. All right? If you're on the fence, if you haven't done it, don't let being nervous stop you. And I would argue it this way. Right In this series of worldview, we're saying that, listen, part of being a follower of Christ is sometimes we have to choose what Christ would have for us over what we're feeling in the moment. What a great way to practice obedience and following Jesus by doing what you know he calls you to, even if you're nervous and don't feel like it right this second. It's a good way to practice obedience to Christ. Here's the third. Um, The right people aren't here. And I want my cousins to be here, and I want my parents to be here, and I want my neighbors to see this. Well, here's the good news, church. All of this is online. It's recorded. If you ask us to just splice up your baptism testimony, we can make that happen for you. Anyone who you want to see this, to be a witness to, for them to celebrate with you, will be able to see it. All right, don't let that stop you. And then here's the fourth. Um, I didn't come prepared. Like, I don't have any clothes to change into. I don't know how all of this works. I didn't think this morning when I came to church that I was going to get baptized. Listen, if that's you, you don't need to worry about anything. This is, we're 11 years old. This isn't our first time at the rodeo. We have thought of everything. Ladies, we got all of the makeup you need to make yourselves look beautiful after getting dunked. I promise, all right? Um, We have clothes for you to change into. We've got bags for you to put your dry clothes in. We have people that are going to walk you at every step of the way. We we have people that are going to pray for you. We have every um, product that you would need to make this possible. Here's what I'm saying, though. All you need to do right now is to make the heart decision, I'm going to obey and I'm gonna honor the Lord. And right now is the moment to identify with Christ. And um, here's here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray right now. And then we have one of our elders' wives, Lori uh, Moeller, my mother-in-law. She is going to be the one where you're going to walk to. She will greet you. She will show you exactly where you need to go. You're going to go right through those doors. We're going to have people walk you through every step of the process. We're going to have a couple songs um, uh, of singing together. And um, then we're going to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of this church through baptism. You guys excited? All right. Yeah. All right. Let's do this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this church. I thank you for your faithfulness through 11 years. And uh, God, I um, would just ask that you be with hearts right now. God, would you tear down walls? God, would you um, give us a desire to honor you? And God, I just know there's people in this room right now who are very much on the fence and they're wrestling. And God, I just pray that you would move in their hearts through your spirit to make the stand to identify with you because you've been so gracious to us and identifying with us when you didn't have to. We love you. We acknowledge that you're Lord. We acknowledge that we need you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.